guys are telling us we don't believe this. And that really sets the scene for the rest of the story that we're going to read here. Their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. He's, he's baffled. And verse 13 says, Now behold, two of them, two of the disciples, two of the ones who received the word from the ladies, two of them decided to go for a walk. They were traveling that same day, came to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So it's kind of a long walk. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near. And went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. The word did not know really means did not recognize him. They, they, they saw him, but they didn't recognize who he was. I wonder how often as we walk down the road of life, we don't recognize who is walking with us. I wonder how often Jesus is right there and we don't. How often our eyes are restrained. <laughs> Because that's the key. That's why they didn't believe the ladies. And that's why even when Jesus appeared to them, this is some stranger, some random guy. He's in the same body he was in before. It's been resurrected, so it, it might look slightly different. We don't know exactly how all that works. But, but it's, it's Jesus right there with them, and they don't recognize him because... Their eyes have been restrained. Their eyes have been blinded. Their eyes cannot see. And my prayer, really, if, if nothing else comes of today, if, if, we, if, 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 the, if the, the egg hunt flops, there's no pun intended, if, if, the, if, the, if, the, if the bunny costume like, you know, disintegrates when, when they're wearing it, if it rains, if nobody shows, if the petting zoo, what do we got? We got some, so if all the ducks bite all the kids today, if everything goes wrong, the one thing that I pray for you is that your eyes will be opened. Because honestly, if you get everything else, if you, if you get the petting zoo and, and, and you get to hang out with, with all these animals and, and you get a lot of eggs and you come to a nice service, it will all have been in vain if your eyes are still restrained. If your eyes are still blinded. You have to see Jesus. You have to understand who is walking with you. You have to recognize Him in your life. That is the goal. That is the goal of church. That is the goal of City Chapel is to unveil Jesus. We are here to reveal the wonder and beauty of Jesus in your everyday life. We don't have to like, 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 like ask Him to come walk with us. He is walking with us right now. We don't see Him though. And so my prayer, my prayer is that your eyes will be open today, that some eyes will be opened to see and to recognize Jesus in our everyday lives. They didn't recognize him, and he's right there walking with him. And so they talk. Their eyes were restrained, they didn't know him. Jesus says to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? Notice how Jesus knew the state of their emotions. Uh, and he's asking about their conversation. So he obviously knew much more than simply what they were talking about. He knew what it was inspiring and the sadness inside of them. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? <laughs> in other words, where have you been? <laughs> right? Like, are you like... You're, you must be new around here. 
Are you like, like, are, are, are you kind of dense? You're not the sharpest tool in the shed, the sharpest crayon in the box. You're one fry short of a happy meal. Like something's wrong with you that you don't know what we're talking about. He's quite you know, offensive, actually. I mean, what did this guy do to him? He's like, don't you know? Have you not known the things that happened in these last few days? And, he, and Jesus said to them, what things? <laughs> Love it when Jesus just kind of plays dumb. So they said to him, well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today's the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they also had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then Jesus brings the smack down. He says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? I love it how at first, like, Cleopas is, is kind of, you know, bashing Jesus. Like, where have you been? Don't you know what's going on in Jerusalem? And then Jesus comes back with, don't you know what's going on with life? <laughs> it's kind of, kind of smack down to the smack down right there. He says, Oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Don't you know that Christ is supposed to have suffered these things and then to enter into his glory? And I love this verse right here, verse 27. And beginning at Moses, that, that, that means the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, beginning at the very beginning of the Bible, Jesus starts at Moses and he goes through all of the prophets and he expounds to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. Boy, I would have liked to have been a fly on that wall. Like, let's just start. Genesis 1.1. Where's Jesus? He starts explaining how all of the entire Old Testament was written about Jesus. Now, this is mind-blowing. This is amazing. This is, this is some, some amazing revelation. But, 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 but then, in verse 28, they still don't recognize Him. <laughs> Like, they, they, they don't recognize him in his company. They don't recognize him in his compassion when he says, why are you so sad? They don't even recognize him in his teaching. So many people think that Jesus was such a great teacher. Well, apparently, this Jesus unveils the entire Old Testament and these guys are like, well, you must listen to Chuck Missler a lot. I think you uh, just find Jesus in everything. Okay, so all the Bible, Jeff gets it. Chuck Missler, that's what's funny. Anyway, uh, to everybody else, he, they're not impressed. They're not like, wow, whoa, who is this teaching? My goodness, this is amazing. They're not impressed. They're not astonished. They're not amazed at, at Jesus' teaching. They don't recognize him in his teaching. They don't recognize him in his compassion. And then in verse 28, they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he was going to go further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread. This is, this is what, I, what I have here. I have a couple different types of bread. I'm going to be talking about bread today. He took bread, 
He blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Verse 31, Then their eyes were opened and they recognized Him. What in the world? He's, he's walking with them, they don't recognize Him. He's talking to them, they don't recognize Him. He's teaching them, breaking down the whole Old Testament. They don't, they, 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 they don't catch on. He breaks bread and hands it to them and it dawns on them who He is. What is it about this meeting? What is it about the bread? What is it about this little lunch, this dinner? What is it about this meal that communicated to them who He was? That opened their eyes? Their eyes weren't open when eyewitnesses came and told them. Look, He's risen from the dead. We talked to this angel. It's amazing. And then they sent some guys. Yeah, 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 the tomb is empty. Woohoo! No, no, they still didn't believe. He literally comes and walks with them, explains the entire Old Testament as to why He had to die and be raised again on the third day. And they still don't get it. And then He serves them bread. And it clicks. When I was reading that, I was like, now hold, hold up a second. I must be missing something, because if Jesus were to serve me bread, it wouldn't suddenly explain everything. You know, oh, oh, I get it, I get it all now. Bread, cool, awesome, Jesus, rising from the dead, woo! How in the world does this meal leap from their doubt to their faith? How does this open their eyes? How does it span that gap? And that's the mission that I have today to share with you. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for all these folks that have come out to to hear your word, to celebrate your resurrection. Uh, Thank you for friends and family and for new friends and new family. I thank you for this church body that that prepared this this school and turned it into a house of worship. And uh, they're going to tear it all down again today, and they do it all because they love you. I thank you for the musicians and every person that serves and every greeter, every child care worker, (laughs) every usher. Uh, This is all for you. I pray now that as we open up your word that you would unveil our eyes and help us to see Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. So they saw Jesus when they saw the bread. Bread is... um, perhaps the oldest form of food known to man as far as cooking goes. We're, uh, my wife and I were watching a documentary on bread um, because she's really been learning a lot about bread, digging into bread, and trying to figure out. She, she, she's had a gluten intolerance for a number of years, and um, she's really trying to figure, but yet she really loves bread, as I'm sure we all do. If you don't love bread, there's going to be an altar call for you at the end of service. We're going to anoint you with some dough and uh, just it'll be awesome Um, but because bread is like especially to the American diet I mean because without bread you can't have pizza and without pizza you can't have life so bread is thus therefore essential to life Uh, but bread actually I mean technically the stuff Papa John's uses is not bread but anyway real bread uh, ancient bread the ancients discovered bread that 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 basically I mean because you know the caveman diet was was kind of more like what I like you know where you kill something and then you roast it and you eat it. That's, that's, that's what I'm all about. Uh, but then there were these, some of the other cavemen who didn't want to kill things. Instead, they would go out to the grass and like pull things up out of the ground and like wipe the dirt off and chew on it. 
And nowadays they call that a salad, and it's a crying shame. Why even just just leave the dirt on it? I say. I mean, you know, it's it's coming right out of the ground anyway. It's all good. So, so they they slather it with ranch dressing to try to make it somewhat appealing. But it's still, I mean, it's still something you got from from the yard, and we we all know this. And um, anyway, I'm obviously not a fan of salads, but um, uh, but the, but the, you know, a healthy diet would include some some greens, some vegetables, and all that kind of thing. And uh, so so the caveman would would go pull something up and eat it or kill something and eat it. But at some point in history, someone decided to take the wheat of, of different kinds of wheat, um, knock, knock off all the chaff, get to, get, get to the, the kernel, I think that's what it's called, like the, the center of it, and then bash that down, just grind it down into powder. When you, when you have the powder, that's called flour, and you add water, and then you stick it in the oven. And voila, something greater than the sum of its parts come out. Something that's quite nutritious, actually. Um, bread is quite nutritious. It has almost all the nutrition that you need for life. I mean, you could, if you had bread and water, you could live indefinitely. I wouldn't want to, but you could. <laughs> you could live on bread and water. And we were watching this documentary about it. And then they talked about how about 5,000 years ago, um, there was a brand new invention of the bread that sort of took it to the next level where they began to leaven the bread or ferment the bread. And they think that it began about 5,000 years ago in Egypt where somebody like left a bowl of dough like in the corner of their house somewhere and left it there for like a week. And then it started to decay and it started to ferment and started to turn into a bit of a slushy sort of almost watery substance that's kind of bubbling. And um, I was going to have a a demonstration for you because my wife actually has a bowl of this stuff at home. We forgot to grab it from the house. But she's, 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 she's conducting science experiments in our kitchen. As we speak right now, there is this this bowl of like fermented dough is all that it is. It's just old dough that's been left out. And it starts to bubble. The reason why it's bubbling is because all the cultures in it are eating away at the nutrients. Like it's decaying, it's dying, it's decomposing. And as it decomposes, the, 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 the chemical reaction within it creates a lot of air and this bubble pops up. Well, somebody found this and of course, as humans do, said, oh, but that, oh, that would taste good. And so... So they—that's that's, how—that's how a lot of things were created, um, and so they, they they took that and they added it to the dough that they had, and when they add it to the dough, it doesn't just stay at the point of contact; it it, it infects and it, it circulates throughout the entire dough. The chemical compound uh, attaches itself to the bread, and then when you cook it, you have a much lighter, fluffier. Um, Wonderful bread called sourdough is what we call it nowadays. I grabbed this from Walmart because this sort of exemplifies what I'm talking about when I talk about leaven. I don't know if there are any natural ingredients in it, but you get the picture. It's, it, 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 it rises. It rises like this. It's, it's warm when it's cooked fresh. And, oh, man, and you just see all the little air pockets in there. And uh, mm, that's just good stuff. I haven't had breakfast this morning, okay? <laughs> I figured I'd have it with you all. This is, this is like, all the air pockets means that you can use less dough and create more bread. And it tastes better. There's a slight, like, sweetness to leavened bread because it's just the sour, the sour part of the dough gives it a nice, sweet flavor. And this, of course, is known as leavened bread in, uh, in, in, in the old times. Well, 
Well, this, th- there's nothing wrong with leavened bread. God's not against leavened bread. He's not really against any kind of bread. It's good. It tastes better. Personally, I like leavened bread better than the, the alternative. But God used leavened bread in the Old Testament as, a, as, a, um, as sort of a prop. Sort of like I'm using a prop today. He used it as a, as a teaching point to teach his people about sin. And sin is a central theme throughout Scripture. It's important from the very beginning of the Bible right up to the end. You're, you're going to be dealing with sin. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is anything that is against God. But God wanted us to understand that sin is also against us. And so that's why He used this idea of leaven. This idea of this decomposing material. He, he, he used it as a, as, a, as a prop to teach his people that that's really what sin is. Sin is the law of decay. Sin is the law of death. Sin is the law that, that everything is going to get worse. And this is kind of what happens when you, take, when you take dough that would normally make good bread and you leave it out for a week. It turns into this stuff which is decomposing and getting less and less and less and less nutritious. And this is the way that sin works. Everything gets worse. And so when, whenever God was delivering his people up out of Egypt, he said, I want you to, for seven days as you leave Egypt, because Egypt was symbolic of, it was, it was a place of slavery. He said, I want to take you out of that place of slavery and I want you to understand that, that there is such a thing as slavery that is that is like you know physical masters making you do stuff and that's bad but there's also a slavery of your heart and so he said for seven days you have to get rid of all leavened bread and you have to eat only this bread right here this unleavened bread which is much flatter which is uh, uh, that has no uh, leaven in it, has no yeast in it, it has no r- rising component. It's, it's, it doesn't taste as good, and it's a lot flatter. But he said, because I want to teach you that that leaven, leaven is symbolic of sin. It's symbolic of sin because it is the law of decay. It's symbolic of sin because it's often, it's, it's often created sort of like in the corner of your house or the corner of your life. And it starts very quietly, very smallly, but it always grows. Rose has been finding out that in order to keep leaven, you have to keep feeding it every day. Like you've got to get little pieces of dough and drop it in there because it has to feed on nutrition. <laughs> it's got to feed on something. So it's got to grab, and so it's got to start decomposing something. Otherwise, it just is a slosh of soup that doesn't do anything. And so in order to keep leaven, you have to keep feeding it every day. And that's what sin is. Sin starts off in this small place, but it's always asking for more. It's always asking for more of your heart, more of your mind, more of your family, more of your time, more of your finances. It's always never, it's never, it's never satisfied because it's because de- it decomposes whatever you give it. <laughs> it, de- it it destroys whatever whatever you give it. Now, now does sin taste better? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean this stuff tastes pretty good. And so there is a sense in which sin on the on the one hand definitely tastes pretty good. And this is why it's very popular. This is why, uh, if if it tasted like what it does, nobody would try it. But it tastes much better than what it does. So, it, so, 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 so sin is very popular, but at the same time, the effects of sin on your life are decay. The effects of sin on your life is a never-ending cycle of decay throughout your life. It eats away at every bit. And it, and it creates 
pockets of separation, just like leaven does. Leaven creates these little air pockets inside of the bread, and that's what sin does. It creates pockets of separation from you and your family, from you and, 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 and other people of faith, from you and God. It brings a separation between, between heaven and earth. It, it, it pulls apart the fabric of society. Which, by the way, it's just a good opportunity to mention that we have a lot of leaven in America right now and people are really pulled apart and shattered because of it. It's not because of politics. It's not because of the media. It's because of the leaven in our hearts. If you want somebody to blame for all the division and divisiveness and and, and mudslinging and name-calling, it starts right here because that's where leaven comes from. And it creates this anxiety. Have you noticed that even, uh, even just driving to work, there is a, a spirit of tension and, and anxiety and anxious, almost rage, just under the surface. Have you noticed that? I haven't been around very long. I'm 30, I'll be 36 years old here in a, here in a couple of weeks. But I'm old enough to remember a time when I didn't feel that. When I didn't sense that, when that wasn't just under the surface of almost every conversation or almost every radio show or almost every, uh, you know, cartoon or, I mean, it's, it's just everywhere. This, 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 this tension of, of almost rage, of almost anger. And, 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 and if you don't believe me, just try driving to work without somebody like honking the horn at you and getting ticked off at you or giving you a one finger wave or, uh, you know, any, any one of those things. And where does that come from? It comes from leaven. Leaven creates this tension and it pulls apart the fabric of people who should be working together. People who should be agreeing and compromising and coming into agreement for the betterment of the whole. It tears apart those societies and those, those systems. And it, and it creates separation. That's, that's why leaven is a good example of sin. And so once a year, once a year God commanded His people to clean out their house. Once a year, God said, I want you to take seven days and get rid of all the leaven. Actually, actually, they took the first day, which was called the day of preparation, and they got rid, they threw out all leaven in their house. So they poured it out, like they got all their bowls of leaven and just dumped it out on the street. And for seven days, they didn't eat anything except unleavened bread. And this was as a reminder to the people of God that God was going to save them from Leaven, not just leaven like of, of the bread, but leaven of the heart. And this is what they did every single year. And in fact, interestingly enough, even 2,000 years after Jesus, many of us still take one day of year, a year, maybe Easter, um, to, to try to get everything aligned and everything right. And we take that one day, and we take that one week, or we take that one whatever, and we try to chuck it out. We try to chuck out leaven. We try to chuck out sin and, and throw out and dump out and take it out to the trash. In fact, I think often we are, this is, this is, this is the preoccupation of our life, trying to get rid of tension, trying to get rid of anger, trying to get rid of sin, trying to get rid of leaven, and trying to throw it out of our house. We spend so much time, and we, we go through so many different relationships because as soon as the relationship starts getting tension and starts getting some leaven in it, we think the problem is with them, so we throw them out. And we're constantly throwing things out of our life, trying to find some peace, trying to find some, 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 some semblance of, of, of the unleavened bread. And we can't stand the tension of the leaven. And so we think that if we throw more stuff out, that, that then we can get rid of leaven. But what the Jews found, and what I think many of you have found, is that you can get leaven out of your house. 
but you can't get it out of your heart. You can get it out of your music, out of your movies, out of your out of your routine, out of your clothes, out of your you can you can you can you, you, you can even start going to church on a regular faithful basis every single week and and yet there's still something inside of your heart that bubbles up <laughs> and creates separation that bubbles up and demands feeding that bubbles up and starts decay in your life that you have a little bit of death <laughs> like you add a little bit of death to your life and what happens is every time you add death to your life it doesn't just impact the the point of impact it it penetrates and filtrates oh it's beautiful serenading music <laughs> piano somewhere i don't know somebody's phone's playing some piano we we have we have have a little bit of leaven in our life and it penetrates everything it just goes through found it good there was once a preacher who said jesus is calling and somebody's phone rang so so save that for when i say jesus is calling it'd be awesome it's just it's just a little bit too early with the prop there uh <laughs> but we have this leaven in our life. We wonder what to do to get rid of it. And the Jews figured out that they couldn't get rid of it. And so they had to settle for once a year getting it out of their house. But they couldn't get it out of their heart. And the reason is is because uh, whenever, you, whenever you make uh, dough, uh, you take a piece of that original lump of dough... And that's what creates the leaven. And then you put the leaven on the lump and the whole thing is leavened. And then you take a piece of that and that's already leavened. And so you, because the, the, the reason why we have leaven in our hearts and in our lives is because of a guy named Adam who back in the book of Genesis decided to go against God and to begin this process of decay. And because we are Adam's kids, we have some of Adam inside of us. Because we've come from that lump of dough, we, have, we act a lot like him. We all were born with leaven inside of us. Like you don't have to teach, you don't have to teach a toddler how to, how to hit another toddler. It comes quite naturally. Uh, I have toddlers and that's how, that's how it works. Uh, you don't have to teach them how to lie. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. Like, like, like um, we, were, we, we were here at the school actually and I was, I was visiting with, uh, with, with the principal and, and one kid was in trouble so he was in the principal's office and he was talking to one of the teachers who's trying to reason with him and the kid was like, and the kid was like, well my dad said that if somebody is mean to me I should just hit him. <laughs> And I kind of wanted to be like, man, your dad's not really right. I'm sorry. That was, that was bad advice. That was bad advice. Um, because it doesn't work in regular life. Like, you'll go to jail. Like, if your dad, that's how your dad lives, he'll, he's not going to be free very long. Because when you're hitting a lot of people, it doesn't work out too well. So you kind of got to learn how to do something different, you know. But I understand that that's what comes naturally. That's what comes Absolutely naturally. Uh, I was talking to uh, my little guy who's still young enough where I can talk about him in sermons and not have to apologize. So uh, he's four and a half years old. I won't be able to do this for very long, but he's four and a half years old. And we're dealing, we're, we're, we're trying to parent him by trying to help him get the leaven out of his heart because he's born with leaven. And uh, I was born with leaven, so I know what it's like. And um, so I was talking to him the other day and uh, he had lied to his mom. Um, totally intentionally, like he just, he just lied. And when I asked him why he had lied to his mom that day, because um, I had been away at work and I came, I came home, and yes, preachers do work other days besides today, like, you know, 
<laughs> um, I was I was out meditating on Jesus for five hours, and, uh, and I, I, I came home and and I talked to him. I said, "Man, why did you lie to your mom?" And he said, "Well, because I wanted." And he went on to explain, in order to get what he wanted, it made perfect sense, and 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 he did actually get what he wanted. <laughs> I said, well, okay, so lying works. We fig- he figured that out at four and a half years old. He figured out that if he wants something, and he knows that if he tells his mom the truth, he won't get it. So instead, if he lies, then he will get it. Cha-ching, it works. Lying works. Nobody had to teach him that. I never sat down and said, okay, son, now, now if you know something's not going to go too well, come up with another story of what you think maybe might have happened that will help benefit you. Nobody had to teach him that. That just came natural. He just said, hey, i got a bright idea. I'll tell a lie. And so I sat down and talked with him. And I said, okay, so why do you think that what you wanted, you wanted so badly that you were ready to do something wrong in order to get it? Why, why, why are you like that? Because dad wants a lot of stuff, but dad doesn't lie. Dad wants a lot of stuff, but we don't always do things that are wrong to get it. Why do you think, why do you think you would, you'd do that? And he said, I, I don't know. So I began to tell him a little story about greed, um, which, is, which is a good story uh, from the Bible. I'll spare you all the story. But, but the basic point that I'm making is that even with our kids, there's the action of lying, and that's bad. And you can throw that out of the house. You can be like, no lying in this house, there will be no lying. And if we find you lying, we will uh, put you in time out. Because um, we're in Austin. And uh, we... <laughs> just had to stay PC there for a minute. And so, you know, you, like, you can do that. There will be no lying, no, no lying, no hitting. We'll deal with actions, and we'll throw all the leaven of the actions out of the house, and we'll get it all out, we'll throw it all out. But you know what still happens? There's still something inside of the heart. There's a reason why he's lying. There's a reason why he thinks it's okay to do something wrong because I want something so badly. And that is where the leaven resides. That belief that what I want is so important that there's no rule or regulation that ought to stop me from getting it. That's a heart issue that's called greed. It comes from the heart. It, 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 it bubbles up out of the leaven from, from old grandpa Adam. It comes up in bubbles and it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it traps us. And so we can deal with lying right now and say, all right, son, you're four and a half. You're never going to lie until you turn 18 and you get out of the house. Then you can lie all you want. You know? And that's what happens. Parents get real, real strict about, about no leaven in this house, not going to have any leaven. But then, but then the leaven in our heart finds other ways to get what we want, finds other ways to do what we want, finds other ways to act out of who we are. And so, I, I told him a story about, uh, about a guy who went to the fiery place, um, <laughs> is what we call it. Jesus told the story about a rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man was greedy, and he went to the fiery place, and the Lazarus went to heaven. And um, I didn't even have to tell him the ending. I just said, which one do you think went to heaven? Which one do you think went to the fiery place? And he was able to tell me the ending of the story. And I said, why? And he was able to tell me, because the rich man did what was wrong. And I said, yeah, but it worked out for him, right? Like he, he, his whole life he was rich. He never lost his money. His precious money. He didn't lose it. He kept it. Ah, oh, but wait. There was somebody else who was watching. And even after his life, the story didn't end. And that guy... Was, watched, was being watched by God and he was judged in the end and the leaven of his life came back to condemn him. 
And I think this is what we all feel, and this is why we have fear when we talk about death, when we think about death, and because because we understand that we have some some sort of uh, condemnation within ourselves. We have leaven that bubbles up within ourselves, but but Jesus came to remove the leaven, not just from our house, but from our lives. And it actually starts with a reversal of thinking. Instead of thinking so much about what we can remove, I think it starts with understanding what we can receive. When, 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 when these guys sat down with Jesus, right? he didn't try to remove anything. He didn't, he didn't even try to, to break any kind of doctrine that they had. He just explained to them that he had come to remove the leaven, and so he broke off a piece of this unleavened bread and he gave it to them. And when they received something, instead of trying to get rid of something, when they received something, that's when they understood who Jesus was. And this, 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 this idea is, is foreshadowed um, in the book of John when Jesus is condemned to die. Uh, John 19, verse 14 through 15. Jesus is being condemned to die. Pilate brings him out. And, and, and the scripture lets us know this was the preparation day. So this is the day when all the Jews are removing the leaven from their house. And this is about the sixth hour. So it's about three o'clock in the morning. And all these Jews would have been awaking right about this time to throw out the leaven out of their house. So they dump out the leaven out of their house on their way to, 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 see this, to see this guy who's about to be judged or not. And uh, they, they, they shout out to Pilate. Pilate comes out. He says, behold, this is your king. And they cry out, away with him. Isn't it interesting that, that the, the phraseology that they use, they don't say kill him. They don't say crucify him. They say, throw him out. Get him out. The, the leaven is still drying on their hands. That they had just thrown out of their house and they look at Jesus who is the bread of life and they say, get him out. They didn't know it at the time, but what was happening was Jesus was taking on the leaven of the world. Jesus was a pure lump of dough, so to speak. Jesus had no leaven. He had no sin. And First uh, Peter 2.24 says this, that He Himself, Jesus, bore our sins in His body. In His body. In His body. In His body. Now, now this, 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 this is the bread. Remember, the night before Jesus was, was killed, He said, this is my body. He broke leavened bread. He said, this is symbolic of my body. It's unleavened. There's no sin. There's no wrong. There's no, there, 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 there's no evil thought. There's no selfish ambition. This is my body. It's, it's pure. But when, but, when, but when the Jews looked at Jesus, what they saw was something to get rid of and something to get out of their house and something to take away. And so they cast him out with leaven still on their hands because he was taking the leaven of the world upon himself. And his body took the sins of you and I, and, and the sin of our heart, the sin of greed, the sin of lust, the sin of envy, the sin of pride, the sin that starts all the other sins, the leaven that is underneath all of the other stuff. Jesus took that on Himself, and what it did is it, is it, is it completely saturated His body. And so His body was killed. One scripture that's often mistranslated is that he who knew no sin became sin for us because we know God can't become anything. But what that means is that he carried it in his body. He took it into his body and, it's, and, it, and it infected the sin 
touched his body. And that's what scripture says, that he has been touched with the feeling of our infirmity. He knows what it feels like because he had it on him. He carried it to the cross. And when they crucified him, they killed the leaven of the world. And when he rose from the dead, his resurrection is so important. Because if we just had a crucified Savior, then we just have dead leaven. We don't have a new dough. (laughs) When he rose from the dead, he became the new dough by which we can receive new life. And that's why I say it's not necessarily some, some one more thing to get out of your house or get out of your life. Christianity is not about cleaning up your house and getting all the leaven out. It's about receiving someone into your life. And He starts a new life in you. He, he, he starts a new lump that doesn't have leaven. This is why when Jesus rose from the dead, He rose on Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the, of the week during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Jesus rose in a brand new week, a brand new day that started a new week of unleavened living. (laughs) So when he rose from the dead, what he was basically saying to these Jews as he broke that bread, he said, what you're eating right now is unleavened because I have risen from the dead. And now everything about your life can be unleavened, can can be without the tension, can be without the boiling of, of the root of sin. All of that can be taken away. Through me, through my resurrection. So how does that happen? Well, first of all, he, he kind of readjusts their thinking because they said we hoped he would come and redeem Israel. But he didn't come just to redeem Israel. He came to redeem Israelites. <laughs> he didn't come just to redeem America. He came to redeem Americans. That's you. It's not just a national thing. He wants to fix society. He wants to fix us. And then we fix society. He wants to do something inside of us. And the way that he does that is by us receiving him. As we get ready to close, I just want to read this one other passage of resurrection from Mark chapter 5, verse 35. Uh, uh, Jesus was, was speaking... And he was actually on his way to a guy's house named Jairus. Jairus had come to Jesus asking him to heal his daughter who was sick. And Jairus, there's a long history that Jesus has with Jairus. Jesus would have known this this girl. She was 12 years old. Jesus would have known Jairus. And Jairus begs him to come. And so Jesus starts heading that way. He gets interrupted, but this is toward the end of that interruption. He's still speaking the interruption. And... And there's this, this messenger that comes from Jairus' house that says, that says, your daughter is dead. No political correctness at all in that message. Just the facts. Your daughter is dead, sir. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard that word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, that's Jairus, he said, don't be afraid. Only believe. Why would he be afraid? Now, sorrowful, yeah, but afraid? If, I, if, if I'm reading this, I'm thinking the only reason why Jairus would be afraid, he'd be afraid that his daughter would die, but now that his daughter is dead, how can he be afraid of anything? And I think, I think oftentimes what we are afraid of is not necessarily a particular event, but what we believe will happen after that event. And so Jairus' fear starts welling up in him. How am I going to approach my wife? How am I going to face tomorrow? We understand it was his only daughter. 
possibly his only child. And now all these questions begin coming. And that's where fear comes in with all these questions. That Jesus was the answer. Jesus was coming to heal. But now that she's dead, now how am I going to deal with this, this, that, and the other? And he starts going through this. And Jesus says, just stop those questions. Stop the fear. I just want you to believe and trust in me. To rely on me. He says, only believe. And then... He goes with him and he doesn't permit anyone to follow except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house, the ruler of the synagogue, and saw the tumult. The tumult, In other words, everyone is weeping and crying, wailing loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why do you make this commotion and weep? The child's not dead but sleeping. And then they ridiculed him. And so he had them all put out. Put outside. (laughs) Talk about cleaning the house, getting stuff out. If you do get anything out, get some doubt out of your house. So he took the father and the mother of the child, the only people who had faith, and entered where the child was lying, and he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked. She was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. This is what happens when Jesus walks into the room, when Jesus walks into your life. The dead parts of your life, the decaying parts, the leavened parts of your life. He speaks to those. He doesn't like hang out and have lunch. He goes directly to what is dying. And he says, get up. He doesn't just say get up. He takes her by the hand. This is a dead girl. Why are you holding a dead girl's hand? How is this going to help? Well, because he knows that as soon as he says arise, he didn't even say come back to life. Because with every command, with every instruction that God gives, there is attached to it the power to fulfill that instruction. <laughs> so when he said, get up, he didn't have to say, come back to life first. He just said, get up, because as soon as her, her body heard the words, get up, her spirit came back into her body, and her brain turned on, and her heart started beating. He, he didn't have to say heartbeat, but that's essentially what he was saying. He didn't have to say lungs breathe, but that's essentially what he was saying. We have all these questions about, well, how is this going to work in my everyday life? And I don't know if I can receive Jesus and just everything. And, and, and I still have this problem, I still have that issue, and I still have that issue. Sure, sure, sure you do. There's still a lot of death. But, but if you can hear the word of Jesus to rise from your death... He will cause your lungs to breathe again. He will cause your heart to beat again. He will cause your mind to work rightly again. He will... She was sick. She was sick for a long time. And yet she's not sick anymore. He didn't deal with the sickness. He didn't say be healed. Now she comes back to life. She stands up and her fever is gone. Her sickness is gone. Because along with the instruction from Jesus comes inside of it the power to obey that instruction. (laughs) So that when he says, I want you, I want you to start this new life. I want you to receive this new life. All you have to do is say yes. And he starts lining everything else up. It's not your determination that's going to do it. It's not like some good counseling or somebody helping. All that stuff can be helpful. But it is not what is the key and missing ingredient. Because your leaven is still going to keep pulling back all those other things. What you need is to hear and obey the voice of Jesus. (laughs) 
when he says rise, your legs start working, your feet start working, your nerve, your nerve system starts starts working. Every 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 function of your body, every, everything that ought to be there, that ought to empower you to do what he's telling you to do, immediately comes into place. That's how we rise. When you were given uh, an. Uh, uh, worship guide today. I want you to whip that out right now. And we're getting ready to close service.